So last week we surveyed over 1,400 years of Assyrian history. Uh, Shamshi Adad the first led the old Assyrian Empire to control the prized land between the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers uh, while initiating uh, Assyria's reputation for brutality against anyone who opposed them. And then what we saw in the, mid in the uh, middle Assyrian Empire, Adad Nirari I uh, began Assyria's deportation strategy which had the dual purpose of moving non-combatants to areas limiting uh, tribal rebellions within the empire, um, as well as increasing the production of labor necessary to support the expanding empire. Then the era, uh, the era of the, the Neo-Assyrian Empire would see the Assyrians reach the, the zenith of their uh, in, uh, zenith of their empire in terms of both military strength and territorial control. And Tiglath-Pileser raised uh, uh, one of the first full-time professional armies. Uh, and that, this was used to dominate and control the land from the Persian Gulf all the way to the Nile River. In particular, uh, Ashurbanipal II's defeat of the Egyptian city of Thebes in 1663 is mentioned in the writings of Nahum. And when this is combined with Nahum's prediction of the fall of uh, Nineveh, which will happen in 612, we have our two dates uh, for uh, the historical time frame of his writing. Now, but before we actually get into the content of his writing, we'll spend one more week. I think it's worthwhile considering the history of Judah in the immediate context of, of Nahum and his main audience to whom he will speak. So Judah survived uh, to see the 7th century only uh, by divine intervention. The world's foremost military power had Judah and Jerusalem dead to rights, uh, save for God's direct and immediate involvement. Last week it was asked after class if, if Sennacherib had actually recorded anything about this siege against Jerusalem. And discovered in 1830 uh, was the Taylor of Prism, the Taylor Prism of Sennacherib. It actually provides us with Sennacherib's description of the attack uh, against Judah and, and uh, provides for a fascinating comparison with the scriptural account. And on this, uh, on this uh, prism it, it reads, as to Hezekiah the Jew, he did not submit to my yoke. I laid siege to his strong cities, walled forts, and countless small villages, and conquered them by means of well-stamped earth ramps and battering rams uh, brought near the walls with an attack of foot soldiers, using mines, breaches, as well as trenches. I, brought, I drove out 200,150 uh, 200, men, young and old, uh, sorry, people, young and old, male and female, horses, mules, donkeys, camels, big and small cattle, beyond counting, and considered them slaves. Now this description, uh, at least the first part of this description, actually accords well with what we see in Scripture, uh, uh, we, where there, uh, Sennacherib's destru uh, destruction uh, uh, um, includes wiping out about 40, or, four, uh, about four, or over 40 towns in Judah, uh, as well as his uh, mention of the siege ramps is what we found at Lachish, as we looked at last week. And so this finds uh, a quite widespread agreement uh, with what we find uh, in the pages of, of Scripture. Uh, the, he continues, it says, Himself I made a prisoner in Jerusalem, his ro royal residence, like a bird in a cage. I surrounded him with earthwork, with earthwork uh, in order to molest those who were in his city's gates. Thus I re reduced his country, but I still increased the tribute and the presence to me 
as overlord which I imposed him imposed upon him beyond the former tribute to be delivered annually. Um, once again, this, this language of, of being trapped like a bird is an apt description of, of Hezekiah's uh, position, though it's worth noting that there is any, there's no, the, this uh, passage lacks any mention of any kind of uh, destruction or conquering of Jerusalem. Uh, in fact, he, he tries to, it seems like, uh, gloss over it by mentioning how much or how much he's able to uh, uh, increase his tribute from Hezekiah, but uh, this would be kind of a bit contrary to the way the Assyrians would have treated a conquered king, uh, at least someone who would have put up the opposition that Hezekiah did. Um, they would not have allowed him just simply pay off more tribute. They would have carried him off in chains, uh, something we'll see later. Uh, additionally, when you, we look at the artifacts in Sennacherib's palace uh, in Nineveh, they featured release of the fall of Lachish, but there's no uh, pictures depicting any kind of uh, fall of Jerusalem, which you might have thought would be front and center, uh, given, its pro or given Jerusalem's prominence to the, to the area. And then finally, it concludes, Hezekiah himself did, did uh, send me later to Nineveh, my lordly city, together with 330 talents of uh, gold, 100 talents of silver, precious stones, antimony, which is a, a stone or a mineral, uh, large cuts of redstone, couches lay inlaid with ivory, namido chairs inlaid with ivory, elephant hides, ebony, uh, ebony wood, boxwood, and all kinds of valuable treasures, his own daughters and concubines. Now while, laying sie while Sennacherib was laying siege, uh, scripture records Hezekiah sending uh, about 30 talents of gold and 300 talents of silver to uh, uh, Sennacherib in order to appease the, the attacking Assyrians, uh, but obviously to no avail. Um, and as we'll see, Manasseh, uh, Hezekiah's son, was still a, a, a tribute-paying vassal uh, to Assyria, though in Scripture we don't have any other reference to what Hezekiah, if anything, gave over uh, as tribute to uh, Assyria. But it would seem that even though uh, Jerusalem was spared, they were still under the uh, control um, of the Assyrian Empire. So I just, once again, my, my effort here is, is to ground Nahum and, and the rest of this time frame in historical uh, in its historical setting, that this is a real place by real, uh, of actions done by real people. And once again, this, this kind of information just this, uh, further cements the, 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 uh, the, the reality of the, uh, the words that we're going to read from Nahum later. So as a result of God's intervention, uh, Sennacherib and his Assyrian Empire, or Assyrian army, are forced back to Nineveh, and Hezekiah rules Judah for another 14 years. Hezekiah's reign uh, had begun with a great, great revival, you will, you will recall, as laws and feasts were reinstated uh, and idols and high places removed. Hezekiah's son Manasseh, however, would, go, uh, would do much to uh, bring Judah, in fact, to its lowest point of depravity. Manasseh was the longest-serving king of Judah, and as the, second, as the author of 2 Chronicles assesses, it says, he led, uh, Judah, uh, he led Judah and the people astray so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. Uh, here, just worth pointing out, recognize the connection between the nation's leaders uh, and the moral direction of that nation. The writer of 2 Kings lists the wickedness of Manasseh in chapter 21. He says, we, he, re, uh, he rebuilt the high places of his, uh, uh, of his 
So he rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had destroyed. He also erected uh, altars to Baal and made an Asherah pole, as Ahab, king of uh, Israel, had done. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. Uh, on that point, it's worth noting that uh, among these astral deities uh, was uh, the god Ishtar. Uh, he was the god, or she was the god of love and war, and the head god of the Assyrians. He built altars to the temple. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said in Jerusalem, "I will put my name in the courts of, or in the, in." In the two courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry hosts. He sacrificed his own son in the fire. Uh, this, uh, in another, in Second Chronicles, this is listed as happening in the valley of Ben Hinnom, uh, which is located about south valley southwest of Jerusalem. Uh, Jeremiah would later rename this place the Valley of Slaughter because of its history uh, uh, as a place of idol worship and, and human sacrifice. And then uh, also uh, it goes on, he practiced uh, divination, sought omens and consulted mediums and spiritists. And uh, that is just various means of discerning uh, the future or communicating and conjuring up uh, the spirits of the dead. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. He took the carved Asherah pole he had made and put it in the temple, of which the Lord had said to David, and, uh, and to his son Solomon, in this temple and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And then moreover, Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem with, uh, from end to end, besides the sin that he had caused Judah to commit, so that, he did, so that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, kind of referring to this uh, shedding of innocent blood, rabbinical tradition blames Manasseh for the killing of Isaiah. Uh, the tradition is that Isaiah fled and, and hid in a trunk of a tree, which Manasseh then had sawed in half. So Manasseh is also mentioned outside the pages of Scripture, uh, both in the annals of uh, Asher Hayden and Asher Banabal II, the, the subsequent rulers after Sennacherib. The king of Judah is listed as one of the kings required to contribute uh, supplies to the rebuilding of Babylon, which Esher Hayden was rebuilding after it was raised by uh, his father Sennacherib. Another inscription uh, records Manasseh as providing assistance to Ashurbanipal's uh, military advances into Egypt around 667. And so throughout Manasseh's reign, Judah served as a vassal state to the Assyrian Empire. And as a result of Manasseh's depravity and deafness toward God, uh, God would get the attention of Judah's king by having him hauled off to Babylon. And this is recorded in 2 Chronicles 33:11. It says, "So he brought against him, so he brought against them the military commanders of the king of Assyria. They captured Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon." This took place either during the reign of Esher Hayden or Asher Banabal. There's no definitive evidence as to which. So again, it's, it is the Assyrians who Nahum will pronounce a divine vision of judgment against that is being used here by God as an instrument of judgment uh, against his own people. God is able to use the actions of evil people to, to fulfill his will, but he is not able to let the guilty go unpunished. And this will, uh, Nahum's uh, uh, prophecy will demonstrate uh, or, or this, this, this tension between the use of evil people 
And God's judgment uh, demonstrates both the providence uh, of God as he arranged the actions of world history, as well as the justice of God. Now, while in Assyrian ca captivity, the most evil king of Judah uh, understood this divine wake-up call. He received it. And in one of the more dramatic conversions uh, in history, I would have to, have to say, um, given the description of what we just read of Manasseh, it says in 2 Chronicles 33.12, In his distress he sought the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed to them, or prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea, so that he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. And so upon his return, he, fortified, he refortified Jerusalem and the towns of Judah. He began removing the pagan idols and altars that he had placed in the temple of the Lord and uh, offered up uh, sacrifices on the restored altar to God. Now, as encouraging as Manasseh's turnaround is, um, his efforts to purge these pagan practices appear to be limited, um, or at least incomplete, uh, particularly when we look at the extensive reforms that, that are going to take place under jo jo uh, Josiah. But it should not go unnoticed that the man who uh, filled, uh, the, filled Jerusalem with innocent blood is also listed in the genealogy of the one whose blood will be spilled to save the world. Following the lengthy reign of Manasseh, his son uh, Ammon would serve as king for a mere two years uh, and followed the uh, uh, idolatrous ways of his father. His reign would eventually end uh, in an assassination at the hands of his own officials. And then as a result, at the age of eight, Josiah, his son, uh, would uh, become the new king of Judah. Now Josiah was uh, the last of the good kings of Judah. Uh, and he followed in the ways of David. Uh, once he came to age, around uh, 20 years old, he initiated a nationwide purge of idols and high places. And the images and altars of Baal and Asherah were smashed to pieces, and if that wasn't enough, they were ground to dust and then blown onto the, and scattered across the graves of the idolaters. And then further in 2 Chronicles 34.5, it says that he even burned the, the bones of the priests of their altar, uh, on their altars. Just gives you a sense of, of the depth of this purge that Josiah was in charge of. Now, most of what is written about Josiah um, is about his religious reforms. But within, the, within those descriptions, we find indication of Judah's territorial growth as well. For example, in verse 6 of, uh, second, uh, uh, verse six of chapter 34 in Second Chronicles, it reads that in the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali, and in the ruins around them, he tore down the altars and the Asherah poles and crushed the idols to powder and cut to pieces all the incense altars around Jerusalem, or throughout Israel. Then he went back to Jerusalem. So we, here we see uh, the, the king of Judah traveling into area that was conquered by Assyria some uh, uh, nearly 100 years prior. And so these tribal lands of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, and Naphtali were all part of that northern kingdom. And now here we see uh, Josiah going in there and, and, the, and purging even those lands of these idols. Uh, in collecting funds to repair the temple, the Levites uh, collected funds, it says, from the people of Manasseh, Ephraim, and the entire remnant of, uh, of Israel. 
And then uh, in 2 Kings, it reads that even, uh, even the altar of, at Bethel, the high place, uh, of, uh, the high sp- the high place made by Jer- uh, Jeroboam of Nepat, uh, who had caused Israel to sin, even that altar and high place he demolished. And then the, the, the author of 2 Kings 23.15 goes on into verse 19, saying, Just as he had done in Bethel, Josiah removed all the shrines at the high places that the kings of Israel had built in the towns of Samaria, and that, aroused, or that had aroused the Lord's anger. So such descriptions uh, indicate uh, Judah's expansion uh, into a region that they formerly did not control. And this also would indicate a weakening of the Assyrian Empire. Uh, when, when this reclaiming of lost lands of Israel is seen alongside the profound uh, degree of reform, some see Josiah's efforts as an attempt to actually uh, return back or try to uh, restore the kingdom as it was under David. And it seemed like he was making good ground uh, in that direction. Now returning to the, the religious reforms, it was during the aforementioned repairs to the temple that the high priest discovered the scroll of the law, um, which had apparently been missing and unread for upwards of 75 years uh, or more if we date it to the beginning of Manasseh's reign. And so in a scene, scene reminiscent of Hezekiah's reform a century earlier, uh, Josiah uh, assembles the people of Judah, uh, all the priests uh, are brought together at the temple of Jerusalem, and as the scroll is read aloud, uh, where the scroll is read aloud, after which it says in 2 Kings 23.3, the king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of, of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commandment, er, commands, statutes, and decrees with all his heart and all his soul, thus, affirm, ju- thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. Then all the people pledged, to, er, pledged themselves to the covenant. This then led into uh, the nation celebrating a Passover on a level unseen uh, quote, in, the, uh, in Israel since the days of the prophet Samuel. And none of the kings of Judah had ever celebrated, or, sorry, none of the kings of Israel had ever celebrated such a Passover as did Josiah, with the priests and the Levites and all Judah and, and Israel who were there with the people of Jerusalem. So once again, we see uh, this, this unity, or this the unifying of the kingdom again. Uh, uh, perhaps Judah reaching a height it hadn't seen since uh, the, the split uh, some 300 years prior. So around 610, the Babylon army, or Babylonian army was finishing up the remnants of Assyria uh, around Haran. The collapse of the Assyrian Empire provided an opening for a new world power. And this caught the attention, or the battle at Haran caught the attention of the Egyptians. And so they began to move their army up the eastern coast of the Mediterranean to assist Assyria if possible, but more to assert their control over the valuable trade, uh, trade routes uh, should Babylon uh, decide to move south. Now this uh, Egyptian advance up the coast would obviously uh, brought, uh, brought into proximity uh, of, of Judah. And there's no indication that they sh- were showing any aggression against Judah. Yet jo- Josiah decided to mobilize his army against Egypt and the two nations battled at Megiddo. Tragically, Josiah was fatally wounded in this conflict and it brought to an abrupt end uh, a tremendous restoration in Judah. Unlike other kings uh, who the nation did not miss uh, when they died, 
Josiah was mourned by all of Judah and Jerusalem. The prophet Jeremiah, who served in that role for, uh, uh, for, half, for over half of Josiah's reign, uh, it says, uh, uh, Scripture records as his composing laments that end up being uh, kind of memorializing the life of Josiah for future Israelites. Five years after Josiah's death, Babylon would, uh, would experience, uh, or sorry, Babylon would carry the first Judites uh, off into captivity. Jerusalem herself would fall um, uh, some 20 years later in 586 BC, uh, quite a precipitous fall uh, from the heights of Josiah. Now, while one can't be dogmatic about where we place uh, Nahum uh, into this uh, historical background, I think we can make some educated considerations. The fall of Thebes in 663 and the capture of Nineveh in 612 uh, provide the historical boundaries for Nahum's prophecies, uh, thus locating him during the reigns of Manasseh, Ammon, and Josiah. As mentioned last week, the book of Nahum is absent of any outright condemnation or judgment uh, against Judah. And so this remarkable absence makes it difficult to place Nahum's writings, I think, during the reigns of Manasseh, um, particularly prior to his repentance, uh, or his son Ammon. Uh, it just seems hard to, to think that a prophet would not, um, would not have uh, words of judgment against uh, 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 a king of such evilness. Instead, the sincere and significant reforms under Josiah provides a more suitable backdrop for Nahum, who encourages Judah, uh, it says in, in uh, Nahum 1.15, to celebrate your festivals and fulfill, and fulfill your vows. Additionally, the territorial expansion and weakening Assyrian control would bring optimism of, of Assyria's uh, final collapse, bringing about Judah's independence. As God promises through Nahum uh, in, in, uh, in the 13th, verse, 13th verse, verse of the first chapter, Now I will break, your yoke from, uh, break their yoke from your neck and tear your shackles away. Now it, there is a difficulty with these verses considering how closely, uh, or how imminent their, uh, Judah's Babylonian captivity is. Uh, these verses uh, would, would uh, or these these. Hopeful verses uh, do not have a long lifespan until they are actually until Judah is brought to, to, to Babylon, and this tension uh, we will look at as we uh, enter into uh, Nahum's writings. But uh, nonetheless, these arguments I think provide a, a, a reasonable basis for locating Nahum and his prophecy during the time of Josiah, uh, during Josiah's Reformation, uh, sometime between 630 and 615. And so by the time we come to the writing of Nahum, uh, we find him writing to a people who have felt the weight of Assyria in one way or another for some 200 uh, years uh, from the time of, of the Israel, uh, Israel first began paying tribute uh, as a vassal state. Nahum's uh, audience would have heard the terror of Assyria's siege of Samaria. The people of Judah would have known the power of Assyria as it marched through uh, Judah, raising towns, and chasing people from their lands, while others were carried off, never to be seen again. Judah would have, uh, would have witnessed the temple being stripped of its gold to pay tribute, and their king led away to Babylon. Yet now, as Nahum 
enters into the scene, the people of Judah have a sense of hope if they would dare to believe it. The nation is growing, Assyria is weakening, and Nahum offers them a reason to hope. Their future is not based on the, hand, or based on the winds of fate or the whims of politics, but on the providence and justice of God. Nahum, while being a, prophe- uh, being a prophecy of judgment uh, against uh, Assyria and the evilness, it is a word of hope and comfort for God's people. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word. Uh, we, we thank you once again as well uh, that you are a God of all history. Uh, Lord, we, we thank you uh, as, we, as we look to the pages uh, of, of Nahum and his writings. Uh, Lord, we, we see a God of justice. Uh, Lord, that you are um, one who will not let the guilty go unpunished. You will not let evil thrive. Uh, evil will not have the final say. And Lord, we, we thank you for that comfort. Uh, Lord, we, we, um, we thank you that we can turn, turn the scales of justice over to you. Lord, we can allow you to act as judge. And uh, Lord, we, that is not a responsibility that we must carry. But we thank you uh, as well for your providence as you have arranged uh, the historical, uh, or as you have arranged history to fulfill your will. Lord, we, 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 we are amazed at how uh, much good uh, you have been able to, to bring about in this world, uh, even though there is so much evil. And Lord, we thank you that in the end, um, all the yokes, all the weight of evil uh, will eventually be, be um, all the shackles of, of wickedness will be um, freed from your people. Uh, Lord, that we may have freedom uh, with you. In Jesus' name, amen.